0: Next, this month's special series, Focus on Disaster Medicine and Preparedness. Unforeseen disasters carry unique challenges and learning opportunities. This month, we present conversations that scrutinize our plans and protocols and ask, how prepared are we? How will we react? Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Disaster Medicine. I am your host, Dr. John Armstrong, and our guest is Dr. Ralph Sheely medical director of South Carolina's Charleston County EMS and Rescue Squad, and co-director of the Disaster Preparedness and Response Training Network for the South Carolina Area Health Education Consortium. Dr. Sheely is an emergency physician and internationally recognized voice in disaster medicine. Welcome, Dr. Sheely. John, it's good to be with you. Well, Dr. Sheely, I have a list of lessons that have been identified from an event in the past. And I thought I would just read these because I think there's a poignant message. This came out of a hurricane that occurred here in America where the water pressure was lost, electrical power to an entire region was lost, auxiliary generators were inaccessible during the storm, operating rooms were contaminated, there were significant supply shortages, and roads were impassable to vehicles and pedestrians. And this does sound all too familiar, and for our listeners out there, this is a report from Hurricane Hugo, which hit South Carolina in 1989 as a Category 4 storm. It sounds eerily familiar coming out of Hurricane Andrew in 1992 in South Florida and Hurricane Katrina in the Gulf Coast and. 2005. Dr. Sheely, you have vast experience around the globe in planning and response to disasters. You were involved in a response to 9-11, in the Gulf Coast to Katrina. You were involved in tsunami response in Sri Lanka, as well as a response to the recent China earthquake in Sichuan province. What are some lessons that you have picked up along the way that we need to actually learn and put in place?
1: Well, I think that a major lesson is that we know these things are coming. They are an inevitable part of the life of our country. There is planning that can be done. There is preparation and training that must be done. There are issues of equipment and supply and investing in the material side of preparation. And we need to develop and practice the systems that we will rely on to pull our society back above water, so to speak, when one of these major cataclysmic disaster events occurs. Disaster preparation and, and preparedness for disasters is one of the costs of doing business for a society. It's not really an option. We can pay now and we can pay later. And by organizing our social machinery to allow us to have an effective impact in mitigating the severity of these events and responding to them when they occur is something that's just not a choice.
0: Well, isn't that more of a federal government responsibility?
1: That's one of the most severe mistakes that we could possibly make. One thing that's come out of the discipline of emergency management is that a disaster is a local event. The disaster inevitably isolates a community or a region. It impairs communication, and that it is really up to local systems and local authorities, local resources, local citizens to do what needs to be done in the initial stages of a disaster event. It takes time for outside resources to mobilize, even when the outside resources are prepared, willing, enthusiastic, and want to respond as rapidly as possible. There's still a time element. And we used to say in emergency management that a community should be prepared to take care of itself for 72 hours. In truly large-scale events where there is not a localized problem but a regional or spread out problem, the response to a local community can be even more prolonged. So the expectation that somehow the cavalry is going to come to the rescue in the form of federal or even state response is just an error.
0: So I'm hearing a one key lesson that all disasters are local initially, and I'm hearing another key lesson in that planning and preparation are essential for response, and that's going to involve some training, that on-the-job training really doesn't work in a disaster.
1: Oh, absolutely not. You know, there's one message for physicians who are in practice in communities and so on, is there is generally the expectation that the professionals will take care of the emergency the disaster professionals, the people who do emergency medicine and disaster response or the EMS and fire and law enforcement people or the local government or the federal government, there's somebody else is going to take care of the response. And what local practicing physicians need to know is that when the number of casualties reaches a level that exceeds what can be taken care of by normal means, then reinforcements are going to be required. And the reinforcements are not coming from Washington. You know, they're coming from Main Street. And that physicians need to understand that many aspects of their normal practice will come to a halt in a major disaster. People are not going to be doing routine annual physicals and routine maintenance visits if the water is over their elbows, that what will be needed is an influx of manpower into acute care and that people whose practices have more of a scheduled quality will be shifting out of routine or have the capability to shift out of their routine practice and come to the assistance of providing acute care in the community.
0: What is it that physicians should do so that they are ready for the inevitable disaster?
1: Speaking now of people who are not the disaster professionals, the rank-and-file practicing physicians in our communities, they need to be aware that in a truly large emergency that they will be called and will be needed to serve. And there are certain things that have to be done if they're to be effective in that role. In particular, there's just advanced planning of how you take care of your own family. There needs to be a family plan of How are the members of your family going to be reunited if an event occurs? How will you deal with communications if people are separated? How will you be sheltered? What provisions are made for loss of power and water? What will you do if food distribution systems are not operational? When the electricity is gone, the electronic economic system goes to pot, and you have to rely on a cash economy. How will you manage those things? And there are resources available, to help with that planning. American Red Cross has been very good about that, and their website contains a lot of useful information.
0: I would also suggest ready.gov as another source for finding individual and family planning tools. And so the first step is to be prepared for yourself and for your family. And we should mention extended family and including pets. What comes after that?
1: Well, I think that a physician has to think about his practice and how the practice itself is prepared from a content business continuity basis to survive through a major disruptive event. That involves issues such as preservation of records, arrangements with employees, because especially if the event impacts your own community, then your employees will be victims. And your ability to resume operation after the event has subsided will depend on how well your employees, coworkers, and others upon whom you depend are able to recover from the storm. After those things are taken care of, there's the issue of pre-planning how you as a practicing community physician will become involved in the community response. Lots of folks are moved after a bad event to come forward and say, I want to help. We call that a spontaneous volunteer. The trouble with spontaneous volunteers uh, who come forward after a disaster is that disaster management doesn't know these people. They're not credentialed. They have no training. They are not equipped. They have not been prepared to serve in a particular role. Each individual volunteer has to be managed as an individual unit rather than as part of a group. And in major, large-scale disasters, spontaneous volunteers are more of a problem they consume tremendous amounts of energy and because of lack of preparation may not be able to contribute what they would like. So the whole emphasis should be on a physician finding a niche in disaster preparation or disaster response before the event occurs and being credentialed with that organization or that agency or the entity, which may be you know, your own hospital, and being assigned tasks, trained for a task, adequately prepared, and there is an issue of training for disaster medicine. I call it practicing medicine in a tent. There are specific things that a physician must realize to provide medical care in an environment in which infrastructure is destroyed, resources are destroyed, there's no lab, there's no imaging, there's limited therapeutic intervention, and so on. So doctors have got to get ready. If they don't get ready, then their usefulness after the event is strictly limited.
0: So the key message then is don't be part of a mass provider incident. We appreciate good intentions, but the reality is that you've got to think before the disaster occurs or the event occurs about what it is that you would like to do in community response and get engaged beforehand, whether through your hospital emergency response plan, community emergency response plan, medical societies, etc. cetera. What are some of those opportunities for physicians to be part of this community response?
1: Well, one opportunity that's been very valuable to me personally has been involvement with the National Disaster Medical System. I'm the senior physician for the South Carolina Disaster Medical Assistance Team, and our team has been deployed to other places in the country in response to disasters with some frequency. That requires a fairly large commitment, but there are alternatives to that kind of commitment that are also useful. There is now a system called the Medical Reserve Corps in all of the states. These units of Medical Reserve Corps, are, they're the result of a federal initiative which is managed by the states. And teams are set up, of health professionals are set up to receive training and to be credentialed and organized so that they can be called upon in an emergency to provide reserve resources to areas that have been impacted by disaster.
0: Where can our listeners get more information about DMATS and Medical Reserve Corps opportunities?
1: I would recommend going to the Internet, search for National Disaster Medical System, which describes the opportunities in that system, and search for Medical Reserve Corps.
0: And when people are part of a DMAT and they get activated, they in essence become federalized?
1: Yeah, the the DMAT system is based upon volunteers who are trained in a systematic way, who are uh, given access to equipment, which uh, are federal assets. And then when an event occurs, the National Disaster Medical System asks for the availability of the volunteers to be deployed. And uh, Puts together teams which are then become part time federal employees, and that takes care of licensure issues, certification problems, uh, liability issues, and uh, provides for systems of transportation and deployment of assets and so on. And usually this is for two week deployment at a time. That system involves uh, a significant commitment, but the benefit from it is uh, training which becomes invaluable and the basis for developing expertise in the area of disaster medicine for for communities, even when those folks are not actively deployed by the federal government.
0: And do you have specific training opportunities that you think might be of interest to our listeners?
1: The opportunities, the route for an interested physician to take is going to be to identify the disaster management authorities within your jurisdiction, those people can advise about what what medical resources are available, what medical training opportunities are available within a particular community. And I think this will vary uh, depending upon the size of the community and its location around the country. But every jurisdiction will have someone in the government structure who has responsibility for disaster management.
0: I want to thank our guest, Dr. Ralph Shealy. We have been talking about lessons for preparedness in disasters, and in particular, how physicians can engage before the disaster occurs. I'm Dr. John Armstrong. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Disaster Medicine. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Disaster Medicine and Preparedness. For a program guide and complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com and download ReachMD's new iPhone application, Medical Radio. Listen to the same live stream of ReachMD medical news and information you enjoy on XM160, plus CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Download the Medical Radio app today.